We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Ben Bartlett. Ben is a senior youth coach developer at the English FA and has a UEFA Pro license. Phenomenal football education mind. If you haven't read any of his work, you need to. So much content out there for coaches at all levels and he is really easily accessible online. So highly recommend you read some of his work. Really excited to get him on here to discuss session design maximizing your time with the players and then personalizing your coaching journey at the end some brilliant stuff from ben would love to hear your thoughts on this as always at gary kernin on twitter at gary kernin on instagram before we begin a quick reminder to all listeners to set aside five or ten minutes today to get online and check out sports lab 360 we're excited about the work they're doing to help educate and develop players from a soccer iq perspective more to come at the halfway point with an exclusive msc podcast offer here is ben enjoy Ben, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. Thank you. Good evening. We'll go straight into it. Constraints-led approach to development, uh, an area that you've done a lot of work in to the benefit of the coaching community. Can you give us an idea of or a definition of what it is and then what drew you towards it? Yeah, I guess um, um, you know, the things that draw, draw you towards it is probably your, your own value system. Um and I guess through my coaching career, I've been more and more drawn towards the importance of us individualising the process of development, whether that's for players or whether that's for coaches. Um, so I guess fundamentally, before we decide anything that's important, we probably need to develop a better understanding of what our value systems are and the things that we think are important. Um, that, that can, I guess, bring its own problems in the sense that we can see things only based upon our view of the world which is if we value individual development we can be drawn towards the research that perhaps backs that up a little bit but I guess um, you you know you see the world in a particular way you value particular things and I guess from an individual perspective a constraints-led approach to coaching probably supports a coaches to be able to individualize a program and a process of development for the players and b for the players own individual needs to be central to that coach's approach Uh, I guess the three kind of main elements of that are what we're traditionally called in, in Newell's model of a constraints-led approach would be the task. Uh, from a football perspective, we'd probably see that of the style of play or the game model or or the uh, coach's beliefs about the way the game should be played. So that would be the, the, the first fundamental part. What are the task constraints? Uh, the second one would be the individual player constraints, um, which would be you've got a left-back that has a particular profile, plays in a particular way. Um, so your, your your style of play and the individuals will probably combine together and the coaches' decisions about the style of play that they want to adopt are probably informed by the profile of the players that they have in their squad. Uh, And I guess the third part is the environmental constraints and I guess that's where the style of play that the coach and the players have decided to adopt and the individual constraints are exposed to a particular environment. That might be the opposition, that might be the pitch, it might be the conditions, it might be the scoreline, it might be the coach's behaviour might be the whole social cultural constraints in a particular part of the world. Uh, and as a result of the way that the, the coach and the team decide to play, 
as a result of the individual players that are playing within that game and as a result of the environment they're being exposed to, players will decide to move and play the game of football. Um, I guess a constraints-led approach to coaching suggests that when the style changes, when the individual's playing it or when the environment, either of those two elements are being exposed to changes, the solution to the problem probably changes. So I guess the kind of typical linear model of the past whereby this is the way to pass the ball from A to B isn't necessary to say that isn't a particular solution, but it might not be the solution to every single passing problem. Similar along those lines, you said in a recent interview with uh, Spielaverlung that it may be helpful to expose people to different ways of playing football against different opposition in varying environments. Like you just said there, when social culture environment is is different, when the pitch is different, coaches can then observe how the players respond and then decide how we might support them. Do you think that coaches are too often in development today that coaches are focused on making session conditions perfect? And if so, how detrimental is that to the players? Yeah, I, I, I suppose there's a, a few things that go on in there. Um, I guess football is a complex game and by complex it means it's never exactly the same. If my team were to play your team today and the game plays out in a particular way, my team could play your team on the same pitch with the same players in two days' time and the game wouldn't play out exactly the same. There would either be subtle or significant differences in it. So the game is complex and then human beings are also complex, which means the way that your system functions is different to mine and they'll, they'll adapt differently based upon the environments that they've been exposed to. So I guess um, you know, coaching typically has been... Um, you know, the cult of personality probably increasingly is returning, which is the coach is king, we watch what the coach does, we try to model and mirror a particular thing. And I guess as a result of that, coaches can feel the need to be seen to be the masters of the environment and everything needs to look right. Every every decision that they make needs to be sharp, it needs to be on point. Um, and as a result, people can design stuff that way. And I guess to a degree, coach development and coach education has probably played its own part in that, which is we run a lot of showcase events where we go and watch Coach X delivering a particular piece of work and everybody watches the coach control that particular environment. And as a result, that coach putting on a show probably needs to exhibit a particular style uh, and exhibit a particular experience that makes everybody feel as if that coach is in control. And that can sometimes send the message that that is what good coaching is. Whereas actually, if it is complex, if it is ever-changing, if we do need to be adapting, sometimes on the fly, and sometimes maybe adapting a, a pre-designed plan that we've got in our mind, sometimes that will look perhaps a little bit untidy, a little bit messy. Um, and I guess the degree to which we can become comfortable with the element of uncertainty and be more capable of adapting to those different problems, probably the better we'll be. Yeah, I had Simon Clifford on here a few weeks ago and you know we we're talking about how the game has changed and it's it almost feels that that yeah that fear coach 20 years ago who you know, ruled by fear and got everyone yelling screaming to do what he wanted them to do has almost been replaced by a different type of control where it's almost by organization or by by not allowing players or restricting players to express themselves in certain environments. Hundred um, percent, and it's the um, I guess the the role of the coach is where possible is you know I guess it depends it goes back to what you fundamentally believe to be is important. But if you want players to be accountable and players who are able to make decisions in the moment, training probably needs to reflect that. 
and that means that we probably can't plan for every single every single eventuality however that is nor can we probably coach every single eventuality what we probably need to do is to put on pieces of work that reflect our style that hopefully support and recognize the individual needs of the players and perhaps observe them in that particular moment and then decide if you know sometimes it isn't if if we actually need to coach and if we do need to decide to coach how it is we're going to go about that your four d's in a practice direction definition decisions and difference so i want to pick two areas here and and discuss them first one of definition so can you talk about why coaches should be more intentional if they're not already about where they practice the exercise and making sure it's consistent to where it happens on the pitch yeah, um, I guess there's this this sort of belief about representative practice design, so that whatever it is that the players are practicing has got a degree of representation to the way that it will look when they're playing their competition games, whatever day of the week that might be. Um, and one of the elements is is just I think people refer to it as pitch geography, as if the practice is um, um, positioned in the part of the pitch that those things perhaps happen more of the time, then it might give the players a greater reference and representation of what they're practicing to be able to have a better chance of transferring it to game day. Um, I guess a a specific example of that might be um, if you want to practice wide play, one of the, the, you know, the the definitions or pitch uh, organizations that I would use is for a pitch to be wider than it is long and for it to be the width of the pitch that the players may play on. So if if they're young players and they're playing in England, what we call mini soccer, so they're playing seven versus seven, could still play full width of their pitch. So hopefully it's still age-appropriate and relevant for the ways in which they would attack in wide areas. And I guess a couple of things start to happen. The first one is that if the pitch is naturally built wider than it is long, the space is wide, so there's a greater opportunity for players to go into wide areas and maybe repeat the things that you want without being explicitly instructed to have to follow that particular approach. And I guess the second element of that is if we do use that definition and we place the players in ways that they may look in the way that they do when they play the game on Sunday, it maybe provides an opportunity for a fullback and or a wide player to combine. Uh, for a wide player to look to get into one versus ones against a fullback, uh, for centre forwards to look to drift maybe into more sort of outside areas to be able to combine with a forward uh, and, w- and with a wide player. Um, so, again, you know, in some of my coaching experience, you just had a quarter of a pitch and you weren't able to define it in the part of the pitch that things would happen because your circumstances and your, your own constraints didn't necessarily enable that to happen. But if you have got the freedom of a larger area and your own pitch to work off of, then some of those things can just help the players make a clearer link between what they're practising to what it looks like in the, in the real game. Then moving on to the, the second one then, talking about the difference, uh, different themes within the same practice. How does a coach manage this but still stay consistent with the tactical themes that they want to embrace? Because I can imagine coaches being like, well, if I'm talking about two different systems in the same practice, I'm worried my players will, it'll cloud the message of the, the information that I want to give them within the session. Yeah, Um I guess as coaches, we've probably got to be uh, mindful of where as and our current players are currently at um, and the degree to which the decisions that we make can make things overly complex or cloud particular messages. So I think it's important that we, we, we make our own judgments about what's right for our particular environment. Um, I guess it doesn't necessarily need to cloud the message. If we are playing a game, for example, it may be that some of the designs of the way that we place those players mean that certain players are practising in a particular system 
while a different team are practicing in a different system. And then some of either the, the implicit ways that we position people can maybe challenge them accordingly. So a piece of work that um, I did recently, um, worked with a, a, a club who uh, play two systems. So for periods of the season, they play a three diamond three. Uh, for other periods of the season, they play a four three three because I guess they want their players to respond and adapt to some different systems. Um, we weren't fortunate enough to have 22 players at training. Um, so what we look to do is to organise a piece of work that would hopefully give some representation of those two different systems, but have each team practice in one of those systems. So we set up with obviously a goalkeeper and a 3-2-3 three, three for one team. So that would be the defensive, the three defending centre-halves, two of the diamond centre midfielders and three central forwards. So that's some representation of the three diamond three for one team. So that accommodated nine of the players. Uh, and because we had an uneven number, the other team was set up to perhaps represent the 4 3 3. So they had a goalkeeper, uh, three defenders, two of whom would be fullbacks, one of whom was a centre half, one central midfielder, and three forwards. So the game, in effect, is a 3 2 3, sorry, 3 2 3 versus a 3 1 3. Now, one of the players who was playing in central midfield, his name was Brooklyn. Um, one of the strongest players in that particular group, a club that have high aspirations for this particular player. But I guess partly because he's had so much success through his uh, development career, sometimes finds it difficult when things don't go very well. So one of the uh, things that he's working at is to you know deal with difficulty and be supported by the coaches and his teammates to deal with it when it's not going very well. So he played as the single central midfielder for the team that were playing 3-1-3, who were playing with a man down. So he's playing in the midfield where he's playing one against two on a team that have got less players. So his team probably will spend less time on the ball. And in that particular part of the pitch, he's going to be outnumbered more of the time. So A, he's got to find solutions to that particular problem and learn to, as, as much as possible with the support of the coaches, to manage his own difficulty while he's in that particular moment. Um, so some of the things can be quite implicit in terms of the way that we design stuff can enable people to practice particular things sometimes we can be perhaps a little bit more deliberate so some of the deliberate stuff that we started to do for the team that had more players that were playing with a 3-2-3 they were more working on their building and controlling possession particularly in the opposition's half we asked them that the number of passes that they made before they scored and the number of passes that they made in the opposition's half before they scored would equal that number of goals when they scored so it says to them get as many players as you can high up the pitch it says look after possession, but then fundamentally make a decision about the right, right times and maybe try and score. Uh, the team that will work in 3-1-3, less players, probably less likely to see the ball, maybe be pinned in their own half and defend perhaps with a live block nearer their own goal. We said to them that uh, when they regained the ball, 10 seconds and the number of seconds that were left on the clock when they scored equals that number of goals. So score within three seconds when there's seven seconds left on the clock, seven goals. So... The idea of kind of one team and one theme, I think, can be challenged and we can just fundamentally practice the principles of football in a particular uh, piece of work. One team predominantly practicing building, one team predominantly practicing counter-attacking and are rewarded for the things uh, that we want them to practice uh, should they achieve success. And then some of the subtleties around particularly Brooklyn about where you position it maybe provides them with the opportunity to practice that. Now, that takes a degree of organisation, but I think when you get into coaches, A, understanding the way that they want the game to be played, and B, fundamentally understanding the nature of the players that are under their care, I think that design element 
can become, I don't know that it becomes easy, but I think it becomes a little bit clearer to be able to position what we want. It's even given you or given coaches more of a license to try and do it on a football context because like we, we complain over here a lot about lack of leaders, lack of characters, lack of decision makers, problem solvers. But you know, when you when you go to a training session and there's maybe there's fifteen players, it's seven v seven and then a neutral. Very rarely will you see teams play another team with two you know, same the way when a when a ball is flat, the players will just stop and kick it out. And yeah. it's I almost feel like our environments are becoming a bit more a bit too balanced or a bit sterile. One one hundred percent, and I, I think those things can also be problematic. When we spoke earlier about the kind of constraints-led approach to coaching, some of those things the coach can be quite deliberate about. We're going to play on a difficult pitch. We're going to play with a particular type of ball. We're going to play with particular size goals. Coaches can make deliberate judgments about exposing players to those things. Sometimes those things can just be the nature of the fact that you go to play a particular opposition and the pitch isn't very good, or the opposition and their coach's behaviour isn't particularly good. And we can moan about that and think that's wrong or we can just see it as an opportunity to maybe practice under a certain degree of pressure. And if we know what we fundamentally believe to be as important, we can still be exposed to managing and maintaining our own standards whilst being exposed to something that's perhaps perceived to be a little more stressful. I'm not sure you can answer this one with, with your role in the FA, but as the England youth teams have experienced success at a, at a world level in recent years. And everyone complains here about game intelligence. And, you know, there's obviously there is massive, massive uh, jumps being made in the game over there. Is there is there a conscious effort to make the training environments, either from national or clubs? Is it to make them a little bit more, I suppose, change the conditions slightly for the players and make them a little uh, bit more difficult? Or have you any access you can give us to that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's, there's a collection of things. I think it's important for the association to recognise that a lot of the success that England teams have come as a, is as a result of the work that the clubs do. Uh, the Premier League and the Football League's EPPP programme has certainly informed um, a lot of that perceived success, which is increased training hours, increased uh, variance in the games programme and increased volume of the type of games that those players are getting exposed to. I think also it's you know the social dem- dem- demographies of cities like London mean that the population is so diverse now that you have a much broader collection of people that you can possibly select from. So I think that's important. But then you know the people that are responsible for teams have made some conscious decisions. Um, things like historically the sixteen our under sixteens would play in the Victory Shield. Uh, they no longer play in the Victory Shield and they're exposed to competitions like Montague where they may play against a Brazil, for example, rather than only playing against the home nations. Uh, they may play under-15s against some of the uh, older age groups from local academies. So they're effectively trying to expose the players to a collection of different experiences. And I guess um, you know the under-17s the year before last went to India um, and won a World Cup. And I'm not suggesting that's only because of the work that England have done. But I guess if you want to go to India, playing a World Cup against nations from across the world in a particular environment, if you've never been exposed to those kind of oppositions or those kind of experiences before, it's unlikely that you're going to succeed the first time of asking. Back to training. Let's talk about restrict, reward and relate. How should a coach go through that process when, when designing a training session specific for their players? Yeah, um, I guess in sort of my approach to practice design, uh, there are two elements to it. There are the design elements, so what pitch do you organise and how do you distribute the players on the pitch? 
to maybe en enable the players to be exposed to some particular stuff. So, for example, uh, I spent some time working at a, at a club that played two systems. We played a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3. Um, obviously, naturally, as I said before, you don't always get 22 players to be able to work with. So part of the distribution might be we're going to play a 2-2-2 versus a 2-3-1. So you've got the two centre-halves, the two central midfielders and the two centre-forwards from the 4-4-2. And you've got the two centre-halves, the three central midfielders and the one forward from the 4-3-3 that represent the 2-3-1. So part of that is we're going to organise the players in a particular way, which may be from a relationship perspective and from an organisation perspective enables the players to see and practice particular things. So I guess that's the first element about the way that we design the, design the practice and distribute the players. Uh, the three R's that, that you know is, is a personal thing that uh, enables us to place some demands on the players is restrict, which typically reduces some of the decisions that the players can make by the decisions that the coach makes. Uh, the second R is reward. So that might be if you want more of a particular thing, you provide a great reward for that thing to maybe lead the players to have a greater inclination to practice it. And the third is relate, so that you would ask the players to relate the decision that they make to the circumstance that they find themselves in. Now, restrict is, depending upon people's view, is probably good for increasing repetition. Because if I say, you must have one touch, Gary, I'll increase the amount of times that you play one-touch football. What I'm probably um, not providing with the opportunity to do is to decide the best times to play one-touch based upon the pass that you receive and the circumstance that you find yourself in. So restrict can be good for increasing repetition, maybe can be challenging for reducing opportunity and decision-making. Um, however, with restrict, I would typically remove one decision uh, as opposed to removing them down to only having one choice to make. So an example of that might be with the team that are playing 2-3-1, um, the um, team against them are playing a 2-2-2, so the two defenders are matched up two versus two against the two opposition's forwards. We can say to the goalkeeper for the team playing in the 2-3-1, you cannot play your first pass into the midfield third. So what that suggests to them is probably more of the time play short, but play to defenders that are under pressure, which probably gives them a greater opportunity to practice dealing with pressure uh, and maybe finding ways to work out of it. But what it also says is don't play into the middle third. So it might be if the goalkeeper's got the capacity to, they could play into the final third of the pitch and maybe play some longer passes. So if the opposition do perhaps over over press and perhaps disproportionately position themselves in relation to where the ball is the goalkeeper's still got an opportunity to play long which may get the opposition dropping back a little bit to provide them with the opportunity to play in front so I would tend to use restrict as a means of removing one option as opposed to limiting the players down to one um, reward might be uh, we, we ran a tournament last year which we used as a, a must-win competition and it doesn't necessarily um, fit perfectly with everybody but I guess if you want players to have the capacity to be able to manage and win the game, maybe we need to practice it. So we ran a tournament where it was a must-win tournament. You got three points for a win, no points for a draw and no points for a defeat. So they played 20-minute games, which is relatively a, 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 a tight period of time. And it says to the teams, if you are nil-nil with five minutes to go, well, there's no reward for nil-nil. So be more persistent, find ways to win the game. And if you get in front, find ways to stay in front and across the six games no team ever came from behind to win it which kind of suggested that the team that got in front maybe got the psychological advantage maybe got the physical advantage and found ways to manage the game so if you want particular things find ways either through the scoring system in the game or through the points that are accrued through playing the game that reward the particular things that you want 
Uh, relate is that the players make a decision. So it might be that you ask a central midfielder, spot the times to play forward. Um, that's planting a seed in their mind that the coach, and if they value the relationship between the player and the coach, the coach is obviously looking for me to play forward, but I've got to recognise the particular circumstance and decide whether or not it's the right time to play forward. And probably a whole collection of things start to inform that decision, which is what sort of space and time have I got on the ball? Uh, where's the pressure? Who are the players that are supporting me? Whereabouts on the pitch am I? But also things like what's the score? Because if we tune it up with five minutes to go, it might be that I'm not as intent on playing forward as I am if we're tuning down with five minutes to go. Um, I guess the final element to saying that it isn't necessarily that all of the players are exposed to the same task. So the examples that I've given there is pretty much the whole of the team are being challenged by the same test. The, the example where we asked the centre midfielder to be able to spot the times to play forward, we said to the number 10 that he couldn't play any one-touch passes backwards. So when the ball goes into him, that player's either got to know what's around him, he's got to get on the half turn, he's got to take his first touch into positive areas because he can't go back on one touch. So if you want forward play, those kind of challenges for individuals can possibly promote them to get on the half turn, receive and, and penetrate and travel forward. We'll just take a quick break here. Youth coaches, think about your biggest challenges. One that I frequently hear is simply the amount of time you have with your players. Have you ever finished a session only to realise that you didn't progress to the point you had hoped to? That challenge is exactly why we're excited about the work being done by Sports Lab 360, a company with great backstory and an even better product. As a coach, you can use the platform to make assignments focused on specific tactical principle, put in custom notes, and track progress and scoring of your players. Coaches who have used the program report more productivity and progression in training with players not only arriving more educated, but also with a greater desire to learn and grow on the soccer IQ side of the game. They are excited to offer Modern Soccer Coach listeners 15% off club or team subscription with code ROADSHOWPROMO1 or just send them a note and tell them that Gary sent you to get an extra week on your free trial. Back to Ben. We talk a lot about creativity these days and obviously referring to the players, but how important is it for a coach to be creative, especially when you're talking about this design and those ideas? Is this becoming a, a bigger, a more difficult task today than before? Um, I guess it depends how you perceive it. I think we, we would hopefully say in England that probably as a result of um, the number of full-time coaches that we've got, um, the number of the, the amount of opportunities that there are to coach, uh, and probably the amount of skill and, and coach development and coach education that is both operated by the federation and lots of other bodies. Probably coaches have got more skill and more time to practice their skill than ever before. I guess when you've got a degree of skill and confidence in it, and you've got access to a relatively high degree of time, you've probably got greater opportunity to be creative you've probably got confidence in your own ability and you've probably got time and those two things are probably quite important for creativity uh, I guess when you get into uh, more of the grassroots games and you've got a lot of parent coaches who may be traveling from work who've got 15 minutes in the car to, to plan what they're going to do they're going to meet 16 kids who they've got for an hour definitely creativity can be a harder thing to fall upon because the coaches it's a generalization but the coaches have typically got less experience and as a result possibly less skill and B, they've certainly got much tighter constraints of time, which means a lot of the time they are just looking for some fairly standard recipes that will probably help the players to have a good time. Um, and, I, and I think as a, as, a, as a federation or anybody responsible or supporting coach development, that you probably need to be mindful of not being too prescriptive to everybody, but having some prescriptions in the event that people might be supported by them. 
you've said in one of the articles that the player is the syllabus, and I thought, oh, that's that's fantastic, and it, of course gets you thinking then, and especially a bit of reflection exercise, and myself personally, uh, do you think we've moved away from the slightly, you know, putting the player in the onus of of where how we're organising everything? And then as our coaching community does it anyway, and, and I'm guilty of it myself, celebrating tactical geniuses on the sideline. Everything's collective, but the difference makers in the game are usually the players. So how do we balance that or bring ourselves back to focusing on the players? Or what's your advice for that for, for you, young and old coaches? Yeah, I guess probably a few things in there. The first one is that was a, the player as a syllabus was a term by a guy called John Allpress, who was fairly fundamental in the English FA to influencing a lot of the shifts that we've seen in coaching and coach development in England over the last 20 years. So uh, he probably needs um, uh, name-checking for that. Uh, and I think the second thing is that that term can be taken quite literally. And some people can see the individual needs of the players as the sole focus of their work, which can sometimes mean that the tactical challenges that the game is providing naturally, because I'm playing against your team and they're challenging me in this way, get lost because we're so intent on the player being the syllabus that the players aren't playing the game that's in front of them. Uh, so I think it's important to recognise that, yeah, we need to recognise the individual needs of the players and find ways to support and challenge them. But we also need to make sure that that is allied to the particular tact tactical challenge that's going on in the game. So if my team's playing a particular system against yours, that's already providing a challenge for that particular player. And it may be that if we can expose people to different challenges, then maybe they get the opportunity to practice them with some degree of variety. Um, I think the tactical genius one is, is, um, is an, interesting, uh, an interesting point and I guess the media do a very good job of kind of promoting the cult of personality where so much is attributed to a Pep Guardiola or a Jurgen Klopp and as a result that can almost send the message that the coach is the puppet master that pulls all the strings and their tactical plan is fundamentally what drives everything. Um, and again, that might be true, but I guess the percentage of coaches that are working with young players probably don't need to be tactical geniuses in the sense of being able to deliver a perfect tactical plan. Perhaps from a tactical perspective, their decision-making process needs to be more focused upon understanding the needs of the players and finding a way of drawing a team together that best supports individual development. Because I guess a, the more the players feel that their individual needs are attended to, probably the more likely they are to stay committed to the game and get better. And as a result, probably the more we'll have the opportunity to congeal them as some kind of team. So you mentioned earlier then about the the Triple P having more of an individual focus has obviously benefited uh, England. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, without a doubt. Um, and, and again, uh, some of it has become overly prescribed, which is everybody has an individual development plan. It's written down. We look at it every single six weeks. And even so, some of those probably have become um, problematic in the sense that everybody's got an individual plan, it is written down. What it certainly has done is put at the forefront of coaches and the whole system's mind is that these are individual human beings and we need, where possible, to attend to their individual needs. How repetitive should a coach be with their exercises, in your opinion? And is there a danger of luring yourself into a false sense of security as a coach if you rotate the same four or five exercises or games? Um. Yeah, I mean, interesting. We've had that conversation internally about some some people have a view that perhaps a coach should have what they would call core practices. So they might have four or five practices that they repeat fairly regularly. The players become relatively familiar with those exercises and as a result can practice in those exercises rather than a coach that's got a new practice every single day. 
um, and the players have to learn how to play in the practice before they can learn how um, to get better. Um, so I, I guess there's a, a balance to be had there. I guess fundamentally, if we work from one basis of practice, which is the game of football, and find different ways to uh, either condition the game or remove ourselves slightly away from the game um, to enable players to practice some some, st- some stuff, then if we're fundamentally representing the game of football, then the decisions that we make should hopefully mean that the players practice stuff in the way that it looks in the game. I guess then the one exercise is the game of football. Um, kick it in their goal, stop them kicking it in your goal, probably play offside, and then decide whether we're going to change the pitch shape, whether we're going to distribute the number of players on the pitch. So we might have two pitches going with a 3v3 one session. We might have one pitch going with a 6v6 or a 7v7 on another day and then decide some of the conditions that we're going to place upon the whole of the game or some of the individual practices. So even if the practice is still the game, some of the subtleties of the way that the coach works maybe provide some nuances that the players end up practising. And I think, you know... As, as an association, we've been guilty historically of providing practice books and coaches turn to page 73 to get a practice and defending outnumbered and the guy that designed it isn't the guy that's presenting the practice to those players on that evening. And the coach wonders why it doesn't work. And I think finding that balance between some ingredients that we maybe support coaches to understand that they can fiddle about with to design their own recipes alongside maybe some prescriptions that they can go to when time or skill are perhaps uh, reduced. Yeah, along along those lines there, in one of your articles for the, the FA's magazine, The Boot Room, you talked about developing a practice philosophy as part of the process for effective session design. And philosophy is obviously a common term in coach education these days. And wanted to get your thoughts on whether you felt it was... I, I, anytime I feel the word philosophy, it's always been pretty generic and pretty a bit idealistic. Um, we did it for the mentorship. Talk about your coaching philosophy and... 400 applicants had 350 of them had the same words almost and how can we more suppose that was the first time i've ever heard it referenced as a uh, practice philosophy how can we be more specific when developing that yeah i think there's a couple of things in there i think people that have idealistic philosophies it's that's probably problematic and i guess idealistic philosophies are probably born out of us only thinking about ourselves which is I've got a view about the way the game wants to be played and it will be informed by all of my experiences. And if I seek to impose that philosophy in a relatively generic way upon the players, that's possibly problematic. I guess a philosophy is just just a way of doing things and perhaps we should consider what the purpose is of the particular environments. What are we there to achieve? Are we there to win the league? Are we there to give the players a positive experience? Are we there to get players to go on to senior and international football? So what's the purpose of the environment? Um, and what are the what are the I guess you return back to value systems? What are the values that will underpin how it is that we'll go about achieving that purpose? So what are the things that we won't do? Uh, what are the things that we won't sacrifice to achieve that? Because we're we're underpinning our work with a particular set of values. So that's probably the first element. Second element then is how do we want the game of football to be played? And again, that will be informed by our purpose. If we need to win games, it may be that we'll take a more pragmatic or possibly dogmatic approach to making sure we win particular games. If we're in a development setting and we want to expose people to different stuff and help them to learn the game to be the best players they can be in the future, it may be that we'll take more of a, uh, a purist's approach to the way that we want to play the game. Uh, and probably the third element of how we might think about our philosophy is who are the players under our care. Um, if you've got a particular profile of players that fit a particular style of football, we would probably be mistaken to try to impose something that doesn't fit the profile of those players. Um, so what's our purpose? 
what's the particular way that we want to play the, the, the game of football and who are the players under our care. Those things probably need to inform the way that we want to play. Uh, and at the top end of that, the purpose and the values and the players, we should probably be consulting with the players, with the parents, with anybody else that's involved in the club informing that philosophy. So it isn't one man or one woman's quest towards a particular outcome. It is a collaborative, uniformed approach that's joined up, that's involved everybody's decisions in, in, in driving us forward. Uh, I guess beyond that, then, the sort of thinking about a practice philosophy is that there are, you know, I guess it functions on a collection of different levels. There's the relatively abstract level, which is the four Ds. So it will have direction. Uh, it will be defined in the area of the pitch that it's most likely to happen. Uh, the players will have decisions to make and those decisions will probably represent themselves in different ways. Now, for some coaches, that's far too abstract. They're like, oh, well, where do I start from that? So the next line is, what are the design principles? and What are the demands that we might place upon the players? And then the final element of that is these are some prescriptions that when you combine the four Ds, when you blend uh, the design principles with the demand principles, that it gives you a particular way that you might design practice. And coaches can probably work, assuming they find value in that piece of work, they can probably decide whether to go from an abstract perspective at the top or go more concrete at the bottom. But it hopefully suggests that these are some ingredients that coaches can fiddle about with to support them to design their own piece of work. Um, hopefully then it means that we don't have prescribed practices that we run. It means we fiddle about with different stuff using a collection of ingredients to give us a particular output. Last couple for you here, taken from articles in the boot room and just little things I want to ask you on. Staying on individualising coach development, this is a quote, we must help coaches understand and rationalise why they coach and behave in a way that they do rather than settling for mimicking others. I thought that was brilliant, uh, especially in, in coach education today. How can we produce better coaches without producing mass amounts of the same? And then for the coaches going through the process, how can they grow and develop, but at the same time work intentionally on personalising their journey? Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess it's not what everybody should do. I guess what we've done around coach development in England is we've we sought to do two things. Um, we've shifted some of the content from only being, I guess, historically it had a disproportionate um, focus on the technical and tactical elements of, of the game. And as a result, coaches would be drawn towards, I saw this coach educated deliver this in a particular way, and if I can replicate that, then... I'll pass the qualification or I'll be seen as being competent. Um, there's been a significant shift in the content that there's still a, a significant focus on the technical tactical stuff, but just looking at a more holistic approach to coaching and probably also understanding the needs of developing human beings. So what are some of the focuses that might be important when they're eight? What are some of the focuses when they're 13? Um, so that hopefully coaches get a more rounded um content offer as opposed to it having a disproportionate focus on technical tactical stuff and the second element and you know it's not particularly seductive or alluring but just is about some shift in assessment uh, and if you went back uh, only three years we would have an assessment process where a, a coach would come on on our a license and the last part of their assessment would be to be prescribed a theme for example you've got a number four coach that number four to play through midfield so they're being prescribed uh, an assessment, uh, they're being prescribed a particular theme and often they would be delivering it with the other adults that are on the course. Um, as a result, people typically did go towards mimicking others. They would watch the coach educated deliver that particular theme and then as best as they could 
probably aim to replicate that in whatever way they could. Um, what we've done with assessment now is shifted it in on a collection of levels. The first one is that we asked the coach to define what their purpose is, how they want the game of football to be played, who are the needs of the players in their care, and as a result, how are they going to coach. Um, we asked them to articulate that um, in word, uh, but also then when they practice, to seek to align the work that they do with their players to the things that they've stated. So, for example, if a coach has said, I want the players to have a good time and I want to give them the opportunity to be responsible and make decisions, we would watch their behaviour on a training night with their own players and challenge them to the degree to which they align what they've said is fundamentally important to them and the players in their setting with the behaviours that they exhibit on that particular evening. So as a result, hopefully there's more of them adapting to the demands of their context more than there is adapting to the demands of a coach educator saying this is how things should look. Um, and I think what's been really motivating is when we went through the post process of trying to shift the assessment, there was a view amongst some people that the coaches won't be good enough to be able to do that. But it's almost like, guess what? When you open things up to people, they're so much more intelligent and so much more informed than many people would have given them credit for. And actually, the quality of work that you get back, we've got people producing unbelievable bits of work, filming themselves, coding it, asking for additional feedback. Because I guess as soon as you open things up to people and perhaps give them a greater opportunity to decide what's important, probably the greater motivation that, 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 that they come with. Uh, I guess what's important there is that the support process is, it, is enabling within that to the point that they don't feel so stretched outside of their comfort zone that they don't know how to function. Um, so I guess what we've done is try and shift some of the content so we're giving people a broader offer in terms of the stuff that they, they get exposed to. And secondly, a more flexible assessment process that allows them to hopefully get better at meeting the demands of their own context. Yeah, you're you're meeting the coach where they're at almost. You would, ho you would yeah. hope so. And it, it is core, cool. again, you know, for some people listening, assessment won't necessarily be of great interest. Um, but I guess what um, what's important to us is to try to understand where a coach is at at any particular moment in time and what their aspiration is. Um, and that's still challenging in the sense that we'll have a level two qualification or a level four qualification or a level five qualification. And some people's mindset is still what is the level to pass. Um, and I guess that can be problematic in the sense that if I start my A licence and I'm in a particular place, and the line is so far away from where I'm currently at, I can't ever see myself achieving it. Whereas you come on the same A-licence course, and on the first day you've already met the level, in inverted commas, do we send you home and tell you to come back in a year's time and we'll pass you then? Do I never pass? Or do you just better understand the demands of that particular individual and try and help them be the best person in their own context, knowing that you'll have a certain amount of time with them, hopefully with the right degree of support, that will make a commitment to growth and development that hopefully better support suppliers. Yeah, but coming from a personal journey, like um, when I was doing mine in my mid early twenties, it was, and I, I felt, I, I felt it restricted me to think, you know, to go out and stop the thing three times and get your moments and delivered in a way that was impactful and then get off. I, I, yeah. I didn't feel myself improving. Yeah. And, and often alongside that to some people, that is what coaching became because you get conditioned to coach in that way over a year and it would be almost impossible to not allow that to affect the way that you coach your players. Um, and if we're probably, if we're stopping it too much, if we're giving too much instruction because we've got 45 minutes to drive performance, it may be that that doesn't necessarily impact positively on long-term learning. And probably if we're stopping it a lot and giving lots of instructions, it probably doesn't inspire and motivate the players to the degree that we might want to.
No. Plus, you might stop it on something you see that it's just your interpretation, right? Back to the thing you were saying at the start. Is what you see might be something wrong. Bringing it back and talking to the players about it with now with we're so visual today and with everything at our disposal about how we're consuming football, it's almost outdated to stop a session and tell everyone what just happened because the majority of them don't even remember five seconds ago. Hundred percent, and and I guess there's probably a couple of things in there. The first one is, is if the game is complex, the likelihood of exactly what you saw happening, exactly the same situation again for the player to execute exactly what you want is probably unlikely. And the second element is the idea that in that moment they can super analyse all of the things, think about your instruction, then decide what to do. Probably doesn't um, uh, relate to the way that the brain functions and the body functions anyway. People are responding in the moment based upon, like you said, the things that they interpret and see in that particular environment, which will probably be different from what the coach can see from their experience and their vantage point. Last couple for you. Again, on the, on the boot room, I read about a study you did with the FA on youth training sessions where players can record players could record feedback during the session and they were encouraged to use a whiteboard during a break. This really jumped out to me. I thought, wow, that, you know, because in, in a community where we're trying to get more engagement and empowerment, I wondered how effective that was and you know, if, it, if it did lead to more conversations or if it did lead to players maybe speaking out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I've been motivated by some of the coaches I've watched and I saw one a few years ago now who would put a collection of different scoring challenges on the whiteboard and if the player scored with a particular challenge, they could come off and put a tally against that particular part of the pitch. What In that particular example, you saw a couple of things. The first one that you saw is a shift in the dynamic of the game when one team had a man off the pitch putting stuff on the whiteboard. Um the second thing that you started to see is the players more consciously in the game thinking about the ways in which they might want to play to set up particular finishing approaches. Um, and then in the breaks, maybe, and I don't necessarily know that overly planning helps, but the players spending more time as a group planning the things that they might do to enable them certain opportunities um, to score goals in particular ways. So that particular example and the way that the coach behaved certainly seemed to inspire and empower the players to think about what they were going to do, decide how to do it, and added a different dynamic to the way that the game played out. Fantastic, fantastic. Ben, for the coaches around the world, what have you got coming up? I know you do a lot of workshops and visits. Uh, have you anything that the coaches can take themselves to in the next couple of months? Uh, I'm, I'm uh, a gentleman, or two gentlemen, uh, Steve Salis, uh, who um, I think runs a business called Solutions Mindset, and a guy called Harry Watlin, who runs a business called Advanced Player Development. They're running an event, I think it's on the 25th or the 26th of May in Greenwich, which uh, myself, a gentleman called Chris Ramsey, who's the technical director at Queen's Park Range, and a gentleman called Dave Livermore, who is the assistant manager at Millwall, will also be presenting at. So, um, that's something that I'm looking forward to uh, with a colleague um, who's involved at a university in England, St Mary's. He and I are coming to Colorado in June to the United States Centre for Coaching Excellence Conference um, to present some of our sort of early work about how we might better individualise coach development. Um, so there are two specific things that, that jump into my mind. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure the coaches will be checking their diaries and trying to get themselves there. I'm excited you're coming to the States. I'll... I'll have a look at mine. I might try and get to that. Be good to see you if you're there. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Ben, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having us, Gary. Been good to catch up.
Thanks so much to Ben for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Wow, a lot of stuff in there uh, for coaches at all levels. A couple of things for me. First of all, that point there, he said, idealistic principles are born out of us only thinking about ourselves, which is that I've got a view about the, how the game should be played and it will be informed by all of my experiences. And if you impose that philosophy in a generic way upon the players, it's possibly problematic. And I might get that framed and put it up somewhere <laughs> because it's so true. And you know, for me, I wish we would stop kind of talking about this ideal way that we want to see the game and view the game and how it should be run and how it should work and why you know such and such is a bad coach because it doesn't work according to plan. And and the reality is that we're all facing different types of challenges at different levels. And the growth is never linear. It's always up and down. You there is a negative for every positive. If you focus too much on player development, as Ben said, the intent on the player being the syllabus may create a problem in front of them when referring to the tactical side of the game. And, and it's so true. And you know, are we in danger in social media of trying to get you on one side or the other, trying to get you either player development or win, either trying to get you a possession or direct? And sometimes we categorize coaches way, way too much. And I think Ben did an excellent job there. And, in showing the value of an open mind when planning who you are as a coach or planning your session. And there is no perfect answer, but I love what he's trying to challenge coaches in is that look a little bit deeper, be open-minded. Uh, again, wrote down what are the purposes of the environment? What are we there to achieve? What are the values that will underpin how we go about our coaching? Only then can we understand how the game should be played. Only then can we look at what the players are under our care, his use of language and the chat and the questions that he's asking coaches are phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, I wrote a lot of stuff down there, and you know we'll be revisiting that myself. And we'd urge you to do the same. Like I said at the start of the podcast, you know he he's so so accessible online. His work is phenomenal. The articles he shares, the videos he shares. So I would highly recommend you going on Twitter and spending an hour or two finding his work and then I would recommend you spending a few months reading all his work it's absolutely brilliant so love that love that conversation so we'd love to hear your thoughts as always at Gary Cronin on Twitter at Gary Cronin on Instagram really appreciate you listening to the podcast as always have a great week enjoy thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.